Stephen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing well, Stephen. Nice name. Nice, nice to talk to you. I was just about to compliment you on your strong-sounding <laughs> name. From from the Greek Stephanos, meaning that's, crowned yeah. one. That's exactly right. Mistaken. Yeah, yeah, there you right. go. Uh, maybe you can tell us what keeps you uh, busy, Stephen. What, what, what's your, what are your general interests? What do you produce content on? What takes up uh, most of your time? Yeah, I mean, aside from family life and homeschooling the kids and things like that, um, the main thing when it comes to the UAP podcast, uh, I've been doing that for about just over two years now. And what it really comes down to there is it all kind of came from a passion of what the heck is going on? Like, I just had this question in my mind that I, I couldn't escape of what's happening out there. All these stories from decades and decades and even going back to, you know, ancient times in Egypt and things of that nature. And it just it, it just always stuck with me. Like, how could these things connect over not only decades, but centuries? So I kind of just started looking into all these things and decided, you know what? Maybe other people are interested in it too. And I thought, why not? start doing a podcast to see if anybody cares <laughs> and i'm happy to say that um a lot of people care and it's it's been a it's been a great ride so far these past couple of years well let's let's start there with the description the the, the term uap uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon if i if i'm not correct i mean formerly the the you know the most used term would be ufo but it seems there's been somewhat a shift in credibility regarding you know ufo ufo enthusiasts in, in investigators people like that it's no longer really seen as this sort of kooky fringe x-files fan kind of thing isn't it? it seems to have been given a lot more credibility and i think that that comes with the change of term as well isn't it people are talking it talking about it more as like an academic pursuit now whereas before they weren't yeah that's exactly right if you mind i'm just gonna put my hat on here because i haven't been able to get a haircut and it's looking a little shabby so i'm just gonna put it in my hat instead um, but no, you're exactly right. That was one of the things that really kind of, well, two, two pronged answer. What led me to the name of UAP was what you just said, actually, because it was kind of the government's way of legitimizing the, the discussion to have the conversation out in the open without using the stigmatized term of UFO, right? We've heard that term so many times and UFO kind of became synonymous with, you know, tin hat conspiracy theorists and, the farmer who says he swears the UFO took his cow, you know? So to use the term UAP, it kind of made it legitimate in the discussions through Congress and through the Senate and things of that nature and in office buildings, you know, for people to say unidentified aerial phenomenon. Um, and that's kind of also what led to the name of the podcast too. I thought, well, let me take the P and make it podcast. So unidentified alien podcast is kind of where all that, kind of, you know, got that marriage there, but you're right just to have, you know, congressional hearings and have, you know, Congress people like Nancy Mace or, you know, Tim Burchett and people like that asking serious questions to witnesses like David Grush, who, you know, have all these top secret clearances under oath in front of the world to see. It's something I never thought that I was going to see in my lifetime. Certainly not even two years ago when I first started the show, it's been incredible to watch how, like you said, um, the conversation has kind of taken a turn into the mainstream. Yeah. And I suppose that just to play devil's advocate with that, a lot of people would say it's not necessarily an increasing credibility regarding sort of um, alien related UAPs. It's more people sizing up the threat from, you know, foreign nations and their advanced technology. You know, the, some of the drone technology is getting rather 
you know scary now in, in various ways we've already had instances of you know the the chinese balloons and, and things mm -hmm. like that is it a case of maybe the government sees a foreign nation more of a threat in in regards to uaps rather than thinking you know uh, extraterrestrials yeah that's, that's exactly right you know someone like um ryan graves uh actually spoke about that uh during the congressional hearing with you know what was that a couple months ago or so you know he's a former pilot um, you know, military, U.S. military, and he's spoken about his main mission is to get this conversation out into the mainstream for military pilots like himself who have seen these things up in the skies during training missions or just missions in general. As they're flying around, these UAPs are flying next to them or buzzing them or showing up on radar and disappearing. And this has been happening. This isn't, you know, a f within the past five or 10 years thing. This goes back to World War II. And they were called Foo Fighters at that point, which is hmm. kind of where, you know, Dave Grohl and the guys got their name for the band. But at that point, Foo Fighters were the term for UAP or UFOs. And that was the term that American pilots used during the war when they were seeing these things then in the 40s. So this isn't a new thing. It's not a new phenomenon. They've been whatever these things are, have been watching, observing and making themselves known to pilots for a long time well I'll, I'll let you know where i am i know you didn't ask but i'll let you know uh, no, in terms of U, ufos i used to be a big ufo in, enthusiast in, in my you know mid-teens i was huge into the x-files that was everything to me i, I loved the law i loved the mythology everything about it and as i've got older i've become more skeptical some might say cynical and i i don't believe in sort of i don't believe extraterrestrials have visited us I, i'm perfectly open to the um possibility and i actually want to be wrong and i, I love having these conversations because mm. i find it, it fascinating so i suppose my question to someone like you is how do you make sure you maintain your objectivity when you're presented with maybe a, a video of a, a, someone's claims it to be a sighting or a bit of information here and there how do you how do you keep your grasp on what is verifiably true given your you know your interest and your enthusiasm for you uaps yeah, great question. Um, when I first see a video, because I come across, I'm sure you do too, you come across a lot of different videos in social media, whether it's, you know, Twitter slash X or YouTube, whatever it might be, Reddit. Um, my first reaction is that's not real. And which might sound funny coming from a guy like me who talks about this stuff all the time. Steven, but, sorry to interrupt. Do you mind just checking your microphone? It's just going a bit crackly. I don't know if it's something that's oh. plugged in or perhaps... Let's try that. Is that a little bit better? Maybe you just lost reception for a little bit. Possibly. That might be my earphones. Maybe the, oh, people in the chat are saying it's crackly too, so I think it might be your end. Okay. Let me see if uh, the move around. We can around. still hear you. It's, it's just, uh, I think there's a yeah. little crackly. I think it's the CIA trying to interfere. Yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> you probably haven't had this problem all show. <laughs> uh, I can, we can all, you, you perfectly, uh, we can all make out what you're saying. It's not a problem. Okay. Um, but no, I guess, you know, just to, to kind of get back to that, my, my first reaction is that a lot of the stuff I see isn't real when it comes to videos that are posted online or things like that, just because unfortunately so much can be done nowadays with CGI. Anybody can fake a video. Um, it has to go through a, a sniff test, if you will, right? How, how was this video taken? Where was it taken? Was this from a military drone? Or is this from somebody's, you know, cell phone? So when you, you have to look at some different variables and there are variables that, you know, I, I've been told from sources who have reached out to me, uh, military sources who deal with their job is to look at these videos, actually. 
Um, and there have been some videos that have been told to me that are verifiable. They don't know what they are. Um, and the famous one is from 2013 over, I believe it was Puerto Rico. And it's this, what they call it like a split UFO, a UAP, if you will. And it kind of oscillates through the air. It's very strange, turns on its side, goes into the water, comes back up and splits into two. And that was caught by military drone. And they have no idea what it was to this day. Is, and is this, is this footage uh, available online? It is, yeah. You can find that on, on YouTube. Um, pretty famous video. The name escapes me right now. It's it's not the gimbal. That, that's a different video. But it's um, maybe somebody in the chat will, will think of it before I, I can. But it's Puerto, I think it was Puerto Rico 2013. It's uh, it's it's pretty wild. I had an episode on it um, maybe last month or so, but it's one that a lot of you know, like UFO enthusiasts, look into and say, "Hey, explain this one away." And it could be, look, Stephen, it could absolutely be adversarial. Now, to be fair, I've asked that question to the same military sources that have, you know, verified or unverified some of the videos that are out there to me personally. What I've been told by these people within the military ranks is that. If we don't have it, they don't have it. They meaning China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, any of the U.S. adversaries. Um, essentially because, again, this isn't me saying it's what I've been told. They steal it from us. They steal the information. They steal the technology from us. Um, and so if basically, again, what I've been told is if it's not us, then who, who is it? <laughs> because it, it can't be them. It's, it's interesting. That that gives me a little bit of I mean I suppose a comforting message that you know foreign agents like China, Iran, Russia, people like that aren't so technologically advanced as to produce something like that. But perhaps maybe there might be a bit of ego in there. I mean, you know, you look at the CCP, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, for instance, very secretive, very difficult to get information from there. I mean, mm -hmm. could we could we truly know what they're cooking up in the uh, depths of their military test base? Yeah, no, and that's something I thought of as well. And I've asked the question several times. I always say, are you sure? Like, are you sure they're not hiding something? Like, can we really be sure that there isn't something there that we don't even know that they're working on? And I've been told multiple times that that same answer that if, well, because, and, and here's the thing too, Stephen, they, they also have reverse engineering departments. Russia does, China does. Um, there's different countries, even some of our allies have reverse engineering departments within the government, like, you know, supposedly the U.S. does from everything that we've been told that all the indications show that they work on these things, that they work on these UAPs that have been downed accidentally or on purpose in some cases um, with advanced weapons that are supposedly being used on, on these UFOs that come down. And so if that's the case, then they're trying to figure it out just like we are. So it's it's when you kind of connect the dots, right? You can you can say it's otherworldly, but it also might be us at the same mm. time. It could be both. So it's 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 a weird one to look at. What what's the likelihood in your mind then, if if a government, uh, say the U.S. or you know a Western force uh, or an ally of the USA, had confirmed the existence of extraterrestrial life? What, what are the odds do you think that they make this public information? And, and, and if not, what would be the reasons for not doing so? The optimist in <clears> me <throat> wants to say the odds are great. I don't think the odds are that good. I would say less than 
um, they actually disclose, you know, what a lot of people think are the truth about this, which is that these things exist. And the reason being, um, and, and, and I'm not saying ever, right? Things can change. Maybe the game changes where it's advantageous to them to disclose these things. But the reason why they wouldn't, the reason why it's not advantageous, really it just comes down to the old, the old game of power and money. I mean, as, as you go as far back in world history as you want to, with any empire, with any, you know, uh, president or, or emperor or anybody, it's come down to power and money. And when it comes down to these, you know, so-called secret programs, black sites, things like that, where these reverse engineering technologies are being held, whether that means Lockheed, their, you know, secret division of Skunk Works um, or, you know, Raytheon or any of these companies, they control a lot of stuff and they make a lot of money doing it. And so, it, you know, government contracts and things like that, that would be the reason why it doesn't come out, just to continue to have that upper hand of, of money and power. Well, just in the 13 minutes or so we've been speaking, I can already tell that you're, you're kind of a very level-headed guy and, and you want to be objective about your, your interest here. But as you know, th this subject really does run the gamut, doesn't it? We have people who are kind of... You know, I just want to find out what this is, and they're really interested in getting to the truth. And then there's the, the you know the far end of the scale of people who will say like my uncle was probed by a little green man in a cornfield kind of thing. I'm just right. wondering what what are some of the craziest stories you've had in in your investigations on, on this? Oh man, <laughs> some of the stuff out there is, um, and it's the reason why I, I do what I do when it comes to the to the podcast, where I present the stories. And I say, you make up your own mind. That's always kind of been my, been my thing. You know, here's the story. Here's the details on it. Make of it what you will. And some of those, I have to put an extra disclaimer of that on it. Um, especially there was one story that comes to mind that I did an episode on. It was this woman, and I forget her name. I think I did this episode last year. So off the top of my head, I, f I forget her name. But she was a British woman. And she said that she was abducted. Um, back in the 60s, I want to say. And she was taken by this human-looking alien, which, by the way, according to accounts, they all don't look like little green men. Some of them look like humans, from what some people say. Um, and this was one of the human-looking aliens. Took her up on the ship, took her out into the galaxies, showed her the ship. It was like this you know, utopian society on this mothership. And they ended up forming this relationship and had an affair and had this alien love child. And I'm thinking... <laughs> And I'm, as I'm writing the episode and hearing the clips and forming my own ideas and opinions, I'm just thinking, I don't know if I can go through the, with this one. Like this is, this is unbelievable. But gosh, I'll tell you, Stephen, she gives incredible detail. Like when, when the way she told the story was like she was recounting, you know, a child's birthday, like one of her kids' birthdays. So unless she was just a master storyteller, maybe she's a descendant of, you know of Tolkien and she's just a master storyteller or something or psychosis took over or something really happened. It's, this it, it's is a, fascinating. It's a very complicated alimony dispute for sure. Yeah. Is, <laughs> um, I mean, do you feel, I mean, in terms of these personal anecdotal experiences of abductions and things like that, people have often leaned towards sort of, sleep paralysis to explain a lot of this. I, I'm someone who experiences sleep paralysis quite often, actually, several times a year. It's horrible, quite terrifying. Yes. I don't know if you've had any, had any experiences with it, but there's always this strange feeling of a presence in the room. 
and you often visualize this presence often could be a shadow could be humanoid but you're you're overwhelmed by the the feeling that somebody is approaching you to do harm and and that's kind of intensified by the fact that you can't move and mm. a lot of uh, ufo abduction stories often follow this mold and i'm just wondering where that line is between what the power of the brains um capable of producing experience wise versus you know a literal intervention from a, an extraterrestrial yeah, it's really an interesting topic because I actually do get sleep paralysis as well. Um, I don't, fortunately, I, I don't have it where, you know, I feel like there's another uh, presence in the room with me, thankfully, because it's bad enough as it is. <laughs> yeah. You're laying there and you can't move and you're trying to call out for help and nobody can hear you because you can't talk. Yeah. It's no fun. Um, so I've never had it to the point where I felt like I'm being abducted or anything like that. but. What I find interesting about the abduction cases relating to sleep paralysis, the the idea, the notion of uh, hypnosis and kind of having that, you know, you're, you're able to revert back through hypnosis and backtrack what happened to you. And a lot of people who have been, you know, in these abduction cases, people who say they've been abducted, they've gone through this regression therapy, so to speak. And they're through the regression, they're able to give detailed accounts, terrifying accounts sometimes, because what happens is these memories are buried deep within their brains in the center where you would bury a traumatic memory, essentially. And that comes out during these regression therapies. And a lot of times they end up crying, a lot of times they end up screaming um, in terror or in pain during these regression therapies. But they're able to give details of what's happening to them they're, you know they're laying on a bed there is these beings around them they're being experimented on and these are people from the 70s to 80s the 90s to now who have no relation different countries different families different walks of life rich poor anything and when they go through these regression therapies they're able to recount similar details and it's just so could that some of that be suggestive maybe but it, that's another one of those things that's hard for me to explain. There's even a doctor, I believe his name was Roger Lear, I want to say his name is. Um, he was a podiatrist. <laughs> he was just a normal guy checking out feet. And he got interested in, the, in this subject and actually became known as the alien abduction doctor and started to do um, surgeries on people who said that they had things implanted in them during abductions. And I kid you not, Stephen, they found, you know, materials and people's feet and under their thumbs and between like, you know, the folds of skin between the index finger and the thumb, they would find these little pieces of metal and they don't know how they got there. Well, I mean, something caught my eye several weeks ago, and I'm sure, sure you've looked into this deeply too, but I was very surprised to see it because usually when it, it comes to first contact stories, you know, it's very America centric, you know, and all the movies, they, they always seem to make contact with the White House first, for instance, but it turns right. out, no, it turns out the Mexicans have pipped you to the post with, mm. you know, public disclosure of UFO, sorry, extraterrestrial bodies. Pictures of these were released online. I saw them. Um, my initial reaction wasn't particularly compelling. Yeah. Uh, what did you think when you saw these like humanoid miniature extraterrestrial entities that the Mexican, certain Mexican officials rather were claiming were proof of aliens? I, I got to tell you, I'm with you. I didn't believe it at all. 
Um, and again, that's the funny thing about me. You know, a lot of people think that I just hook, line, and sinker on the stuff. And I'm actually very skeptical when it comes to a lot of these things. But until I spoke to Robert Salas, now for anybody who's not familiar with, with Robert Salas, um, he worked at Malcolm Air Force Base here in the U.S. Um, and Malcolm Air Force Base basically in the 60s uh, was used, you know, the housing nuclear missiles. A lot of command was done there. Um, you know, watching to see a lot of Cold War stuff, right? Making sure Russia wasn't firing nuclear missiles at us and ready at a stand, you know, on standby to fire back. Robert Salas was that guy. And there was a famous case in the 60s where these UFOs flew over Malmstrom Air Force Base and completely shut it down. Any capability that they had to shoot off nuclear missiles was frozen. The base was shut down for a day or so. And Robert Salas was there to witness all this, and he's written books about it and testified about it, had, you know, secure, gone into skiffs with these uh, top secret, you know, uh, debriefings. And I spoke to him a few weeks ago about those mummies, so to speak, because he was called to testify at that Mexican uh, congressional hearing. He was in the room when those mummies were revealed. And I asked him, what was it like? He's like, no one knew it was going to happen. He said, I didn't know. None of the other witnesses knew those things were coming out. But when he told me what he told me on that episode, which was these things have actually been verified skeletons. These have been verified by surgeons, independent surgeons within the United States and around the world. Would have sent them to the, to the UK, um, to uh, Brazil, I believe, and other places around the world to do studies on these things. They, they have not been put together. They're not makeshift bones with, with animal bones put together with, you know, human bones or anything like that, that have been alleged. Um, there's something they, they are verifiable skeletons through CT scan, X-ray and DNA testing. They've, they opened them up and found cartilage and in arteries like this stuff is insane. So now the question is, since this is a, these are some type of beings, what are they? Are they, were they deformed humans? Um, I don't know. But there's something. I need to check in on that and see where we are with uh, the various investigations. The last I saw of it, I think it was, I think you just covered it there, but there were some accusations of potential shenanigans with graves and things like that. So, I, right. I mean, I don't know how much of that was verified, but I need, I need to look into it. But, I mean, I suppose a, a lot of people come into this kind of thing uh, because they themselves have had an experience that they can't quite explain that's really had a big impact on them. And I'm just wondering, does that apply to you in any way? You know, funny enough, I've never really had a true experience with sight. There was one thing, one thing that happened. Um, my first true sighting, and this was last December. Uh, so the, the first time I ever had a sighting was last year. And it was, you know, kind of reminiscent of what some people talk about with, you know, strange lights that fly over. I had, you know, I... I I live near, you know, within a flight pattern of the airport down here in South Florida. So I know the flight patterns of how these planes come over. I see it every single day. What was flying over, I still can't explain. They were going south to east and west to east and vice versa, back and forth. And there were eight of them. They weren't Starlink satellites because I checked into that. So I actually, that's the only sighting I've ever had was just these kind of unidentified lights that I couldn't explain. They weren't blinking. They were solid orb you know, looking lights that flew through the sky at a steady pace um, in like five minute intervals for about 30 minutes. It was very strange. 
But before that, I had never experienced anything that made me say, well, let me look into this. It was just always, you know, I got interested in, in the stories, um, a lot of documentaries, a lot of TV shows. And I guess I'm just, you know, a naturally curious person with a lot of questions. And a lot of the stories piqued my interest. One of them actually, one of the stories that really got me interested a long time ago was Rendlesham Forest in, in the UK, in, in uh, England. It was a famous story that happened around Christmas time back in the early 80s. Um, it was two American soldiers. They came across a triangle UFO that landed in the clearing by, by the, uh, the base there. And everybody thought they were crazy. And then their commanding officer went out the next night. And he's like, oh, my gosh, like something's here. And there's a recording of him saying this because he wanted to go out there and record what was happening. And it's it's a very interesting case. Uh, I think it's Jim Pennington and John Burroughs were the two guys who experienced that. So if you never got to look into Rendlesham Forest, that was actually the first episode I ever did on UAP because that's one of the things that really got me interested in this case. When you have um, really credible people, you know, like 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 soldiers, military men who can come out and say yeah, this happened and I had to risk my career to even talk about it. What what would be a satisfying thing then on your booking bucket list in this in this regard? I think like for me, I think I mean I I'm not aiming big. I'm not I'm not necessarily looking for, you know, little green men or first contact or something like the movie arrival. I I think I'd be quite blown away and satisfied with say, uh, you know, a manned mission to Mars where they find a fossilized microbe or, or something like mm. that. I think that that would blow my mind in terms of, you know, evolutionary biology uh, uh, you know life itself i mean what, what kind of thing would be really satisfying for you boy i gotta tell you i'm a little bit more grandiose i think um so i what would be huge for me is for them to say we have craft for the government to actually come out and say we do have craft that have landed here and that we are working on doing reverse technology experiments, you know, and that's where you got different laser technology or radar technology, or that's how we made the iPhone, you know, different things like that. Well, I suppose Roswell's the greatest example, isn't it, of where people would say that's already happened. And I'm just wondering, how does the, the Roswell narrative stand up to your scrutiny? Is that something you find, find credible or do you kind of accept perhaps that it was a weather balloon, which is the official narrative? The reason why I believe Roswell was actually an alien craft was because again you know military uh type of testimony there's people that have come across who worked in the military at some of these bases um around that time late 40s through the 50s and they have said you know not like deathbed confession but old men who just don't care anymore who are ready to talk about what they've seen and they've talked about going into these warehouses um and saying, yeah, you know, I've been in the warehouses where the wreckage of these craft were and it fills up the warehouse and it's these big pieces of metal, but I'm able to go up to it and pick it up with my finger. Like, so, like what is that? Right. I mean, if it looks like a big piece of metal, it's, it's a, you know, a sheet of steel, but you can put your finger under it and pick it up and it's as light as a feather. That's the type of stuff that makes me feel like maybe, maybe Roswell did happen and it, it could have been the beginning of you know, the secrecy, the, the reverse engineering technology where we end up getting the SR-71 Blackbird. The U.S. had the SR-71 Blackbird back in, I think, the 60s or 70s. That thing was done. 
by by Skunk Works, the secret division of, of Lockheed Martin. We didn't even know about it until 20 years after it was created. Even going back, you know, there's so much stuff that's out there that this technology that we have that we didn't even know about. You go back to, you know, the raid of Osama bin Laden. We have a stealth helicopter? Like, yeah. When did that happen? You know? That was... That technology was so advanced. I think they actually, they actually downed one of the helicopters in the compound by accident, didn't they? And had to destroy it with explosives so that technology wouldn't fall into the hands of, you know, uh, the Pakistanis. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's, just, it, it's the kind of stuff that just makes you wonder, you know, how much do we have? Where did it come from? And how much of it, what we're seeing in the sky is ours versus theirs? It's fascinating. I mean, and just lastly, if you can summarize this in, in, in two minutes or so, I mean, do you feel that, firstly, do you feel that extraterrestrials have visited this planet? If so, is it a case of they've arrived and they've gone? Or do you think there are, you know, governments or agencies or states that actually have a working relationship with these extraterrestrial life forms? Gosh, it's a great question. You've challenged me to just giving you a minute, minutes. just a minute to, to sort yeah. that out. Good luck, Stephen. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, I'll point real quick. I, I do think, yes, they have visited. I do think that there is some type of cooperation, just my personal opinion on it. And I point to one story real quick with Dwight Eisenhower. Any enthusiast will know what I'm talking about when I mentioned Dwight Eisenhower, supposed meeting that he had with um, what was called the Nordic aliens who look more like chris hemsworth you know with, with look you know human looking big tall long blonde hair um and also had a meeting with the grays and this took place in california in the 50s to basically come to a deal to say we get your technology if we let you do this here's xyz sign on the dotted line and we can work together that's been a story that's been about you know for decades now and uh eisenhower's i think it's niece or grandniece has done interviews about this um, and said that it's basically known through their family that that actually happened. So I do believe that there is some type of cooperation. Maybe that got out of hand at some point. Um, and we don't know how to handle it anymore. But there's there's something going on behind the scenes, man. And I'm going to keep going until I can figure some things out. Well, Stephen, I've loved speaking to you. This has been this has been great fun and, and really fascinating as well. Maybe you can just tell people where they can find the UAP podcast and anything else you're working on. Yeah, sure. Um Anywhere, any major podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple, uh, Amazon, you can find UAP to search UAP or UAP podcast. You'll see it come up. Um, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter at UA, UA podcast 850. You see there on the bottom. Um, I put a lot of stuff on there as well. I put snippets of the show, things like that. And I'm, I just going to keep doing my best. So <laughs> see what else comes up over time. And I, I appreciate the time, Steve. And I really enjoyed talking to you as well. Thanks, thanks for having me today. My pleasure. All the best, Stephen. Take care. Thanks for speaking to me. All right. Thank you.